Okay, um, well, it's, it's getting close to the end of February, and I'm about sick of the cold weather and the rain, although I'm sure in July I'll be saying, I wish it was colder, but you know how that goes. At least we don't have a foot of snow, which my son had in Memphis earlier this week, so uh, I don't think he's ever seen that much snow, so it kind of blew his mind, but uh, they, I think Texas and Tennessee and Arkansas, all that area got hit pretty hard. We I guess we just caught the southern, southeastern brunt of it where the rain was, but so I guess that's better than a foot of snow, right? At least. So, anyways, I don't know. Maybe you like snow. I don't know. It's fun for a little while, I guess, especially to go out and play in it if you're a little kid. After a while, it gets old. All right. Uh, anyways, what I was saying was we've been studying in the Gospel of John, and uh, last week we were in chapter eight. And we asked, who is your father? And you may have heard that question in jest before, who's your daddy? You know, that kind of thing. But Jesus was talking to the Jews, right? And he was saying to them, you know, you're going to be, you're going to have a father, spiritually speaking, that's one of two people. You remember who he said that was going to be? Either of God, the father, or you're of the devil, right? You're of Satan. One or the other. It's kind of like the same thing with saying you can't serve two masters, right? You can serve one or the other, but not both. And he told them, you are beneath, of beneath, of the world. You are of your father, the devil. And he said, if you knew who I was and believed in me, you would know that I am from the father. You would be of your father God, as he was of his father God. He was uh, teaching what the father gave him to teach. He was living the way the Father wanted him to live. And he said, if you believed in him, you would be his disciples, truly his disciples, and want to have God as their father. Well, we talk a lot about being disciples, right? And, and, and we should be. We talk about the fact that what is a disciple? A disciple is someone who is following someone, who is trying to imitate another person or another being, whatever that is. And as Christians, we should be disciples of Jesus, right? We should be trying to live our lives imitating the way he lived. He came to earth. He was the word. The word came in the flesh, as we read in John chapter 1. And he lived a certain way, a way that we can know how to live that is pleasing to the Father. He said, I am of the Father. If you are a disciple of mine, you're a disciple of the Father, and you are of your Father God. You're not of the world in that case. Well, how do, how do, how do we become disciples? How, we talked a lot about that, right? We talked about what you've got to do to become a disciple. There is a plan. You know, you've got to have faith. You've got to repent. You've got to try to change your life a little bit. Re- turn from sin and then be baptized into his name, right? Raised anew. Romans chapter 6, we read about that. But how do we uh, continue in that discipleship afterward? We become Christians, we become children of God, we become followers of Christ, as we are commanded in Matthew 28 in the Great Commission. How do we show that to the world? How does the world, how do others in the congregation know that we are disciples of the Christ? We are members of his body. Is it by the name we wear? Is it just by our name, Christian? Or, or maybe your family name is well known, you know, and they're known to be Christians. Is it by that? Is it by 
having the right doctrine or uh, having the right organization or worship. Hmm. All those are important things, right? And we should be striving to do what Scripture says in that regard, right? We should be trying to, do it, to organize things to worship in a way that's pleasing to God. And it's certainly important to have all these things, but these things alone are not necessarily indicators that we are disciples, is it? Many people say, I'm a Christian. And you know by their life that they're not Christians. <laughs> right? I mean, we, we work with people, we, we, we interact with people who you might have had a discussion with at some point and say, I was raised as a Christian. You know, especially today when we see more and more other religions, Islam, uh, you know, all these other religions, we see that more and more in, in our communities, right? So how do we show people we are truly disciples, we are truly Christians? Is it by the world's standards of saying, well, I, I believe in Christ. I believe in Jesus Christ. Or I believe in God. Or I'm trying to just live a good life, so I'm a Christian. You ever heard that? Yeah. Well, we're going to be moving ahead in, in the book of John today a little bit. We, we were in chapter 8. We're going to move ahead. But before we do that, I need to mention something. And I bet you thought I forgot it, didn't you? Why was John written? Oh, yeah. I kind of played a little trick on you there. Turn over to John 20. We've got to read it. We know why the Gospel of John was written. We don't necessarily know that for every letter, perhaps, or every Gospel specifically. We know, we know what the Gospels are about, of course. We don't necessarily have a specific statement as we do in John chapter 20, verse 30, where John says, And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Man, if, if that gives me life, why wouldn't I want to be his disciple, right? Why wouldn't I want to follow him? Why wouldn't I want to turn and tell others about the life that you can have in Jesus' name? Well, let's turn over to John chapter 13. We're going we're gonna to move forward a little bit in the book of John. I'm going to read a few verses from chapter 13, and uh, about, about 30 or so verses, so bear with me. And follow along if you can. Let's start with verse 1 and just uh, get into the text of our lesson today. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Well, Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Typical Peter, right? Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, 
but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, you are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, that you should do as I have done to you. Hmm, there's that disciple thing coming in there, right? Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who was sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now, I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. And most assuredly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. Now, that's, that's an interesting statement, kind of hard to understand on its surface, right? What has Jesus been saying? If you knew me, you would know the Father. And you would know that I am sent by the Father. Therefore, if you receive me, you receive the Father. Makes it a little simpler. Reading on, 21. When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit. and testified and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask who it was of whom he spoke. Of course, we're talking about John there. Then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. And then Jesus said to him, What do you, what you do? Do quickly. But no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to him. For some thought, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus had said to him, Buy those things we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. Having received the piece of bread, he then went out immediately, and it was night. And so when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You, shall see, you will seek me, and as I said to the Jews where I'm going, you cannot come. So now I say to you. Now Jesus is about to go to the crucifixion, right? And he has one last big thing he's going to tell them. All right? He has sent, he's, Judas has left. He has shown that Judas is going to betray him. He's already prophesied about that. The apostles or disciples don't understand that really yet but they're going to. They don't understand about the washing of the feet, but they're going to. And he has one big thing to say. Let's read on. A new commandment I give to you. Hmm. In other words, I guess he hadn't told them this before, right? A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciple. If you have love, for one another. Hmm. Okay. Shortly before his crucifixion, he gives them a new commandment, right? To love one another. Now, do you think he ever said that before? 
Of course he did. He's talking about love all the time, right? In fact, when he's washing the disciples' feet, that's kind of what he's saying, isn't he? You have love for each other. Let me ask you something. If I sat down here and got a bucket of water and towels, would y'all come down here and let me wash your feet? Would I do that? <laughs> I don't know. Probably not. But I don't think you'd want me to either. But that's what Jesus is saying here. Love for each other goes beyond everything else. You can be clean and still not be clean, as he was talking about Judas, but I will clean you because I am from the Father. You follow me, you have love for me and for each other. Now, he's told them this before, right? And, and they, they obviously should know that, right? I mean, yeah, you got to love each other. What's he talking about here? What is he... What is he talking about? This new commandment to love each other. And by this, all will know. Hmm. Well, what are they talking about? Do we know what kind of love this is? Can we, can we explain it? Can we describe it? Define it? And if so, how do we develop that kind of love? Can we do that? How do we demonstrate it? How do we show this to the world? Well, it's obviously something different that he's talking about here, okay? Perhaps that he hasn't talked to the disciples about yet. Perhaps he hasn't shown them. Perhaps the timing was just not right yet. Remember, he's about to go be crucified. They don't know that yet, but they're going to understand later, right? Turn over to the book of Leviticus. Let's talk about that love thing there for a second. Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus chapter 19, beginning of verse 7. Um, beginning of verse 17. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So, loving your neighbor as yourself is not a new thing. All right? That was in the law. We just read it. We just read it from Leviticus. We are, have been commanded since the beginning of time to love our neighbors as ourselves. So what, what is this new commandment he's talking about? There's always been a, a love we're supposed to have for our families, a love we're supposed to have for friends, right? Jesus said this is a new command he gives us. Not just a command to love one another, but a command to love each other, I guess, in a special way, right? He's calling us to a new standard you might say, right? New standard of love. What does that mean? Well, Jesus is going to the crucifixion. He's going to the cross here shortly. So wouldn't it suffice to say that he's probably talking about some kind of sacrificial thing? Right? A love that's sacrificial perhaps for others that the world might see? Turn over to John chapter 15 there. Let's read a verse from John chapter 15. Verse 12, beginning of verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. There it is again. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Hmm. Okay, we have a clue. Maybe there's a clue there, right? Maybe this love is talking about a sacrificial love so great that it would cause you to die for someone. 
I mean, Jesus did that for us, right? He's going to do it here in our example for the disciples. Right? They don't know it yet, but it's coming. He's giving them an example of how to love each other. He's the teacher, the greater one to them, right? The master. And yet he's stooping to the level of washing their feet, teaching them, preparing for what's to come because he knows they're going to be blown away here shortly. They're going to be completely confused, completely devastated, right? Until they see him raised again. Let's go over to 1 John. Let's read another couple of verses that might talk about this. There's John chapter 3. Beginning in verse 16. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us. We also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Hmm. Another example. John wrote about it in his first letter. Perhaps it has something to do with helping people in need, right? Not just the laying down the life, which, by the way, is easy to talk about, right? But could you do it in practice? Could you literally lay down your life for someone else? Oh, yeah, somebody took my family, you know. Somebody came after my wife, I'd die for her. My kids. Is that military service? Jim says, yeah. You got to be willing to die for others in that case, right? Your brothers out there. What about your neighbor who complains all the time because you walk in their yard or your dog gets over there and does its thing? Did you die for them? What about your boss who's always on your case at work? Complaining because you didn't do something just exactly right. Did you die for them? Hmm. Yeah. Would you be able to love someone like that? Provide for them in need? Let's turn back over to the letter to the Ephesians and see what Paul has to say. Ephesians chapter 5. <coughs> Verse 1, therefore be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. I, lo I love that verse. Also, you read about that in 2 Corinthians. The aroma of Christ kind of goes along with that discipling thing, right? When we become imitators of Christ, when we're following him, we're doing what he wants. We smell like him. Not, not literally, but yeah. And that's what's going to cause people to notice. Right? When, you, when you're going to someplace new or some new building, usually what's the first thing you notice? Perhaps before you see anything, right? That smell. Go to our restaurant. Pull up to a barbecue joint. As soon as you open the car door, you can smell it, right? Or go to the city dump. 
before we even pull in the parking lot or, or, or go by a, a pulpwood plant. Ever done that? Yeah. First time I've done that, I, first time I went by a pulpwood plant down in South Georgia, we were going, I think, maybe it was going to Kentucky when I was a teenager on a, on a church trip. And we were all in a station wagon, about 10 of us in there. And we went by a pulpwood plant, and Brother Watson, who was one of our elders there, rolled that window down and just stopped right there on the side of the highway. And wouldn't roll it back up. <laughs> that was my first, first uh, time to smell a pulpit plant, I guess. And he wouldn't let us go on. He was having a little fun, you know, a little, little joke there. But yeah, you notice things like that more than anything else. And that's what we're getting at here. The world should see you as a disciple. It's not just about what you say. It's not just about what doctrine you have, the way you worship. It's more about what you do and what you do for others. Hmm. Some examples that we have. Church in Jerusalem. Acts chapter 2. Let's go back over there. Chapter 2. Verse 44. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. This is the early church in Jerusalem. They were selling everything they had to give to each other as they needed. Right? They saw the need. They were imitating Christ and they were doing something about it. 2 Corinthians Chapter 8. Verse 1. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. The church of Macedonia was freely giving to those in need. Uh, if you've been here on Wednesday nights, you've heard uh, Brother Ben uh, doing some lessons on some unsung heroes of the Bible. One of them was Dorcas. Remember Dorcas? She was raised up because all the people she had helped were in such grief about it. Saying, what are we going to do? She had helped so many people. See, she had that aroma of Christ, even in death. So much so that the Lord raised her up. Or she was raised up by God. That's kind of what we're talking about here. We're kind of getting there, right? Kind of, kind of seeing a little bit what he's talking about here. <clears throat> It's got to be something that people see, right? Verse 35, he says, All will know that you are my disciples. The implication here is that it will be observable. Now, that doesn't mean you need to go out and, and help people so everybody can see, right? There's also scripture that says the Lord sees things you do in secret, right? He sees you pray in secret. And that's the way our lives, should, that's the way we should be looking at it, our humility, right? But we also need to show the world that we are his disciples, and that's one way we do it. It's through our love for each other. It's visible by all, not just our brothers and sisters, right? 
that should be observed by everybody in the world. The world needs to have the opportunity to observe us in action. All right? Now, like I said, you don't need to be going out just to show the world what you're doing. But if you're a true disciple, if you're following this new commandment, you're probably not going to be able to help it, are you? I mean, you're going to be helping others one way or the other, and people are going to see it. Well, we see that it's probably something that's sacrificial. Well, we know it is because that's what Christ said. Love as I have loved you. We see that it's something that needs to be visible, right? So all will know. Um, we see that we have examples of New Testament church of others doing these things. So how are we to continue to develop this? How are we continue to grow in this, right? Turn over to 1 Thessalonians. And let's read from chapter 4. Chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians, verse 9. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. We urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. Taught by God. All right? 1 John, turn over there. 1 John chapter 4. Verse, uh, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that he might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God has so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now here we are, John's talking about a little more. God loved us so much that he sent his Son. We hear that, right? We hear that all the time. We should love God because he loved us. But do we really, do we really take that in? Do we really digest that? <clears throat> We're taught by him to love. Yes, sir. Show them back to you, right? Yeah. Yeah. Brother Iverson says, how do, you, how do you deal when you're not loved in the church, right? When you have brethren, they're not showing love towards you, right? Hmm. Good, good question.
Yeah, good question. That's a great segue, too, to what I want to talk about next. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. And I'm going to read a verse I know you've all read and heard a million times. In fact, let's start. Let's start before that verse. Verse 19. Therefore, brethren, having holiness, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, and having a high priest of the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from all evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more, so much the more as you see the day approaching. I know we've heard verse 10, 25. Verse 25 a million times, right? You've heard that forever. Shouldn't forsake the assembly. But do you always hear verse 24? And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. That's a reason we need to be assembling, right? So, Brother Iverson, I'm assuming you're talking about a little bit of some racist issues right there. And, and I understand that, and that's awful. It should not matter who you are. If you're a disciple of Christ, you should be stirring each other up to good work, to service. Do we get mad at each other in the church? Yeah. Do we hurt each other in the church? Yeah. Are there racist issues in the church? Yes. And we've gone through a lot this past year to talk about some of that. And I'm glad we did. Well, I learned a lot. I learned a lot from you guys and from others. But as disciples, we show the world what it means to be brothers and sisters in Christ through our love for each other. Through a sacrificial love, through a visible love. And when someone does get hurt, what should be our attitude, right? Now, sometimes we hurt people not even realizing it. That happens. That's not good, but it happens. We should always have a humble heart, willingness to apologize and go to those people and say, I'm sorry, I messed up. I did not realize what I did. And in the reverse, you might need to be willing to go to someone and say, you did something wrong. Of course, you've got to make sure that moat's out of your own eye, right? We do that. Take the speck out of theirs. But, yeah, that's part of it. That's part of that stirring each other up. And if you're not getting that love, if you're not showing that love in our assemblies, or in your life, maybe you're not following these commands, right? I mean, I know we've had some issues with this virus, and it's made it hard for a lot of us to be together, and I'm so glad we can do this, be together, 
with our restrictions and all that stuff, and I know that's a pain for everybody, but we need to do it. That's what the church is all about, being together and being disciples together and showing this world who God is. Just talked about last week, what did Jesus say to the Jews? You are of your father, the devil. In other words, you are of this world. He is from above. He is from the Father. If you want to be of the Father, if you want to be a child of God, you can't be in the world. Spiritually speaking, you've got to be in the world physically. You can't do it spiritually. You can't do both. And many of us don't even think about what we're doing sometimes. We just do it, right? Or what we're saying or what we're digesting in our minds, right? And I'm as guilty of that as anybody. We're not of the world, folks. We're of the kingdom. We should have our hearts and minds focused on that kingdom at all times. And in that kingdom, first and foremost, we need to be loving each other and demonstrating that love. When we have guests that come and visit, in one of our assemblies are we friendly to them do we show that we're a loving congregation I mean it's one thing to say well they, they talk to me but are we talking to each other I mean if I if you walk in here and you don't know anybody and nobody's talking that kind of looks like you don't have a lot of love for each other right? that's part of it part of that love demonstrating even to those outside that we love each other one of the things I try to do, I, I may not know everybody personally, but I try to know names, right? And I, there's some I don't know that I should. I know that. Or at least I forget them, and then I'll have to go get out my directory and look it up, which is bad. But I've tried to do that at least, to know names. Because I've been in that situation, right? Someone I, that should have known me came to say something to me, and they couldn't remember my name. And maybe it was just a slip of their brain or whatever, I don't know. But, but it didn't make me feel very good, right, that they couldn't remember my name, right? We need to know each other. We need to be stirring each other up. And that's all part of this, love for one another. Assemblies may be our only time to show our brethren and guests our love, but we also need to be in the community showing our love for each other. We need to be looking for those opportunities, right? Um, back in December, Jay and several of the youth came to our house and sung some carols. Of course, Jolene hadn't been out of the house much in the last few months with her knees, but it was so good for her. And I know she's listening. She's going to get mad at me for talking about her. But I went to work out early in the morning. I got home, and first thing she says, guess who called? I think it was, I think it was Beth, wasn't it, that called her and said, we're glad Carol was coming tonight. She said, I got to get ready. And she spent about the whole day getting ready. Couldn't do a whole lot, but, you know, putting on makeup. Well, she does that anyways, but getting dressed and all that stuff. She couldn't wait for them to get here, and I couldn't either. I was really looking forward to it. And when they came, they were only here maybe 10 or 15 minutes, but it was so uplifting, 
so good to hear them standing in our front yard singing to us. And you know what? We, we have a Facebook page in our neighborhood. Oh, guess what? Somebody mentioned on there that we had carolers in the neighborhood. They heard them. And it gave us an opportunity to explain, right? I don't know that it did anybody any good, but we were able to explain. These are people from our church, and they were coming to sing to us. They're not, they thought they were going to the whole neighborhood, so the person says, hey, carolers are coming. Everybody get ready. Well, no, they're not coming for everybody. But maybe they should have. I don't know. All right, next, next year, that's a good idea. I may just go carol for them. I don't know. But it, it gave us an opportunity to let our community know that we were disciples, right? Yeah, things like that occur. You've got to be looking for those opportunities. Show love. So, more of this story. Jesus is talking about a new commandment, a new type of love. Perhaps the disciples didn't see it coming. They know the commands to love each other, right? But maybe not on a level of dying for each other. If you're truly a disciple, and by the way, the disciples got this after the resurrection, right? If you know where you're going, just like Jesus said there, he said he knew where he was going. He'd come from the Father, and guess what? He knew he was going back. Do you know you're going to the Father when you pass from this world? Do you? If you do, then what does it matter if you lay down your life for someone? I know, that's easy to say, isn't it? But if I'm going to be in heaven, I just get there sooner, right? Maybe that's something you need to think about if you hadn't thought about that. Something you need to focus on. I don't mean you need to go out and just kill yourself so you can get to heaven. But if you're not there yet, maybe that's something you need to be thinking about, focusing on. What better way to do that than to first become a child of God and get in the Word? Start reading, start studying, and bring in prayer, and don't forsake the assembly. All right. Time is up. Thanks for being here.